Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. Today, we're starting to read 99 Bottles by Sandy Metz and Katrina Owen. We're going to look at the preface, the introduction, and the beginning of section 1.1, Simplifying Code. It's funny because as you said that, I can hear the excitement in your voice that we're reading this book. I'm also very, very excited. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club and check out rubybookclub.com to follow along. Talking of excitement, on a scale of 1 to 17, how excited are you about the fact that we're reading 99 Bottles? (laughs) Uh, I think I'm about a 20. But you know what, though? I think the quality of excitement is very different from my usual excitement quality explain i feel like usually when i'm excited i'm just very little kid five-year-old going to the amusement park excited this time i i feel like i feel like i'm about to bite into cornbread where Mm. i know it's gonna be it's gonna be rich you know It, it is corn so it's good for me it's a little sweet you know so it's it's not gonna hurt but it's gonna feel wholesome and very comfortable and at home. You know, it's it's biting into cornbread excited. I have to say that is the best, richest description of excitement <laughs> I've ever heard in my life. Yes. And I don't thought know about if, it a lot. I don't know if anyone will ever top that. Ever. <laughs> yes. I win. I can't even, I'm not even going to bother to try and explain my excitement because it pales <laughs> in comparison to your excitement. So I think we should just, we should, that's like the mic drop now for describing how excited anyone is. Yes, and hopefully everyone listening is also cornbread excited about 99 bottles. So we're on to a new book and we're very, very excited to start. So shall we dig in? Let's do it. So it starts off with the preface, and in the preface, it says that it turns out everything you need to know about object-oriented design can be learned from the 99 Bottles of Beer song. And I feel like that line I've heard for the last year or two as Sandy and Katrina have been working on this book, and it was really refreshing to kind of start that off with the same goal, right? This idea that we're taking a very simple song, 99 Bottles of Beer, and we're using that to unpack all the awesome knowledge that goes with object-oriented design. Yes, it was really, really cool because I'm I'm starting this book and I'm thinking, yes, this is going to be a very focused problem that we're going to look at and it's going to teach us all of yes. this stuff. I love I love being able yes. to grapple with what we're, what we're going to look at in a book. And it, and it almost reminded me of Confident Ruby in a way, in the sense that Avdi was very focused about we're going to look at methods and just storytelling, but this was focused in a different way because it says we're going to take this one song and we're going to teach you everything that you could know. Mm-hmm. And there's such a, a huge value to the reader in picking a single problem throughout the book or tutorial or course or whatever it is, because I don't have to worry about understanding a new domain. You know, every time there's a new lesson to learn, I don't need to wrap my head around, well, what is the point and what is the goal? So starting off with something so simple and keeping it consistent throughout the book, I think is going to help us focus on the lessons learned and the different refactoring techniques that they're using to teach us. 
Also, I love the expectation management that comes immediately afterwards because I read the first sentence and was like, yes, I'm going to learn everything. This is the book to end all books. And then it says, well, perhaps (laughs) not everything, but quite certainly a great many things. And then I was like, oh, yes. Oh. <laughs> and and actually there might be people who don't know what the 99 bottles of beer song is. Would you like to perform this song for us? Perform this song. Oh my gosh, you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> Wait, I'm not even sure I remember what the tune is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll do it together. Ready Wait, on 3. Okay. Yeah, go on. Let's do it. I do we'll do, we'll do five, uh, 5 6 7 8. Ready? 5 6 7 8. 99 bottles you you didn't do it, you did not do it <laughs> I was waiting all. I was waiting for you to go that first because was... I was gonna add some harmony <laughs> I was add okay some okay harmony. deal 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 so, we'll do that okay ready okay five six seven eight 99 bottles of beer on the wall 99 bottles of beer you take one down you pass it around 99, 99 bottles, bottles of beer, of beer, oh, beer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We did a terrible job, but I think people understand the tune now. Yeah. (laughs) And basically the idea is as you take one bottle down, you pass it around, you end up with 98 bottles of beer and then you end up with 97 and you basically count down. So you can see how this is a very nice little song to program. Okay. Uh, I have some trivia on 99 bottles of beer, which I thought Uh was interesting. Okay, let's go. So it's an American folk song dating back to the mid 20th century. But originally, it's derived from an English song called Ten Green Bottles. And I found this hilarious because it was like the English people had a song called Ten Green Bottles. And then the Americans came along and went, Ten? Nah, 99. <laughs> We're going to rage at 10 with 99. Now, like, now here's a song. <laughs> so I just thought that was interesting. That sounds so American. It's a very American it's thing like, to do. Go large or go home? Ten. Yes, yes, exactly. Cool. So if you don't know Sandy Metz and Katrina Owens and their work, they are very much about object-oriented design, especially Sandy Metz. Pooter is probably her most famous book so far. And from that Pooter book, which is Principles of Object-Oriented Design in Ruby, they have created these courses and curriculum called Practical Object-Oriented Design. And this book comes from their conversations and really just the simple challenge of let's take a simple song, let's code it, and let's figure out all the different ways that we can do it, we can refactor it, we can twist it, we can turn it, and what are the lessons that we can learn in this very simple act. So they have a a pretty rich history, I'd say, of doing this type of work and in the practice of refactoring. Yeah. And the book is split into six chapters and it's going to cover things like how to work out whether your code is good good enough, test-driven development, open-closed principle, things called flocking rules and list cost substitution principle, um, looking for code smells, and also this idea of removing all conditionals (laughs) in your code, which we know Sandy is a fan of. So very much looking forward to going over all of that stuff. Yes, definitely. And so as we think about who should read this book and who this book is for, it's interesting because they talk about how there are 
kind of two two audiences. There's the novice, and the novice is you know people I consider myself very much a novice who are still very open to ideas and and we're still relatively new and and young in our coding journeys. And then there are the veterans and the people who've been doing this for much much longer. Who's the senior developers, CTOs, all those awesome titles. And what she says or what they say in this book that I find so interesting is that. Veterans might have a harder time reading this book because a lot of times veterans are used to doing things a certain way. They have certain beliefs. They're used to certain techniques. And this book is going to challenge a lot of that. And so whether you're a veteran or a novice, Sandy and Katrina ask us all to put on our novice mindsets and to approach this with an open mind, an open heart, and set aside our beliefs and all the things that we thought we knew so that we can better receive the message that they have. And I thought that was, it was kind of nice to have a programming book say it's actually an advantage that you're a little bit newer. And I hope that uh, that encourages everyone listening to take a stab, read the book and join us on this journey. Yeah, I was really glad that section exists because it was something that I found through working with a lot of experienced developers, pairing with them whilst being at Pivotal. And, and I often found that being new has disadvantages sometimes in the sense that you might not be aware of the whole problem domain that exists and so you might struggle to suggest ideas for what to do next but often sometimes because you're so open-minded and open to things you might suggest things which you might think sound silly but you actually give the experienced developer who's so used to doing things in a certain way a new idea and I think that when you've got experienced developers working with uh, working with newer developers, it's really helpful if they can put themselves in the novice mindset all the time and just be mm-hmm. open-minded to new ideas and not think that, you know, that's a that this is the right way or this is a wrong way. Why might the new person think this is a good idea and explore things that way and they will ultimately become better developers. I think there was a bit where uh, Sandy says in the book that you might find it surprising that novices would have an easier time but I didn't find that surprising at all I thought that was that was a pretty um an expected conclusion nice so one thing that we're going to do with 99 bottles which is different from what we did with confident ruby is we are going to actually work on some code before reading and this is something that Sandy and Katrina very very much Um, advocate for. And they say that you're going to learn a lot more if you just take 30 minutes and work on the 99 bottles problem before reading the book. And, you know, in general, I, I love this principle and I, I try to do it for a lot of things that I work on. And it's nice to have the book tell you that. It's nice to have Sandy and Katrina say, you really should spend 30 minutes, work on this problem, write your code. You probably won't be done in 30 minutes. It'll probably be really bad code <laughs> that you write in 30 minutes, but that's okay. The idea is to give yourself the space to think through things, figure out how you feel like it should look, and kind of work through things and get a little comfortable, a little uncomfortable before being, as they describe it, tainted by the knowledge that Katrina and Sandy offer you. And they even say that as you read the book to get the most out of it, you should work on the code samples as you read along. So hopefully as we as we do this week by week, there's going to be a lot more coding involved and we'll be discussing our experiences doing the challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the code is available on GitHub. It's github.com skmets, M-E-T-Z, slash 99bottles underscore repository. So, and there's very, very clear instructions on how to download it for Windows, for Mac, for Linux, and how to get started. And it's actually interesting because for this book, we're going to use Minitest. 
which I'm, I've never actually used. I'm realizing I've never actually used mini test before. I've used it as part of exorcism. Nice. There you go. When I'm coding, I use Auspex. Right. So the first time I saw it, I go, oh, but that's okay. It's it's fine. We'll learn it. We'll figure it out. It's going to be great. Fantastic. Oh, and in case anyone's struggling to find where the repo is because someone spelled it incorrectly. Oh, I did. It's <laughs> You got jokes. Okay. Okay, UK. I see you. Sure. <laughs> UK. That was good. That right. was clever. I had a little panic attack for a moment, but that, that was good. That was well done. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> got to cater to our UK audience, you know. <laughs> so in the introduction... It's, it's a very well-written introduction. It talks about the whole point of doing this. And it makes a very important distinction that I really liked where they say that if you think about the premise of the book, the 99 bottles of beer problem is not a complex problem. It's very simple. It has probably a simple solution. You could probably knock it out and they could just as easily put together a book with just code samples of the 10 different ways you can write this code and call it a day. And that would be very simple, very straightforward. But what they say is that the results that you end up with are the endpoints. And I don't know about you, Nadia, but I never really thought of the results of code as the endpoints. Yeah. Well, I guess it is, you know, it is a process and you get to a point where you say this is good enough or this is fine and this is where I'm going to stop. So in that sense, yes, it is an endpoint. But it's really it's really powerful for them to say that, you know, we want to look at this whole process and this journey and not just show you little um, bits and pieces that, that you won't ultimately learn from. Yes, exactly. And the focus is really on the process. And there's this one sentence I'm going to read that just made me so happy. It says, this book documents every step down every path of code and so provides a guided tour of the decisions made along the way. And I feel like whenever I talk to more senior developers, whenever I, really I talk to anyone about getting anything done that I've never done before, I don't really care as much about the results. My questions are very much around the how, right? How did you know to do that? What factors did you consider? What questions did you ask? What research did you do? Because I feel like if we're trying to replicate something great and something impressive, if we want to do big things, the template of that comes from understanding how to make those decisions. And so the focus of this book being on helping us all as coders make better decisions just really, really hit home with me. Yes, I 100% agree with what you said. And I love the bit where it says it flings back the veil and exposes the sausage being made. So it's funny because when you talk about code and you talk about abstractions, often you want to focus on those endpoints and the outer layers. And it's like, you know, you often when you're dealing with code, you say, oh, we don't care about how it's being done. We just want to mm-hmm. see, we just want to see the external interface. And this is kind of saying, no, we're going to get, you know, down and dirty. We're going to see behind the scenes and see everything. And so that's great. Yes. And there's this um, almost disclaimer that, you know, you may be thinking 99 bottles of beer, I'm never going to code that in my day-to-day work. But there's this this point where they say that, you know, it's a convenient problem, it's going to be easily understandable and yet get complex. And if you really get to grips with the solutions that you're discussing, then you will, in fact, be able to apply them in the real world. Mm-hmm. For sure. And with that, let's move on to one, chapter one, rediscovering simplicity. 
So Sandy and Katrina start rediscovering simplicity by pointing out that these days, when we write code, we're so focused on writing it in such a way that prepares us for the day when our code gets complex. And when we do that, we create, we, we focus on all these abstractions, which makes our code hopefully easy to maintain in the future. But by doing that, we sacrifice the simplicity and the understandability that's really helpful for dealing with our code today. Mm-hmm. And they use that point to introduce this idea that object-oriented design is not just a win-win great situation. In fact, it's a trade-off. And we are often decreasing complexity with regards to maintainability when we extract out these objects and we make, you know, small bits of code that are easy to, to reuse. But when we do that, we increase complexity when it comes to readability and understandability. And, and I love this section where they just explore different principles in OO design that we often hear about all the time and and say, well, this is how it helps us in one case, but this is how it might harm us in another case. Yes. And it's interesting because going back to this idea of novice programmers having an advantage, it says that most likely when we were very, very new to programming, we were more likely to write simple code because that's kind of what we could do at that point. And we may not appreciate it, but that it was actually a very big strength. And so as we learn new skills and we're going through harder problems, our solutions end up getting more complex. So this is almost a call again for the second time in this book already to channel our novice mindset and to go back to that simplicity and be open to that again. Yeah. They bring up the dry principle, don't repeat yourself. And The point here is that we take out duplication into a single common method. And I love this point where it says, it's a great idea, but that doesn't mean it's free. Mm -hmm. The price you pay for dragging out code is that the invoker of the new method no longer knows the result, only the message it should send. And so the reward is that you only need to change your code in one place, but it's harder to see exactly what's happening. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, and that's particularly when naming becomes more important, right? Because ideally, if you name your methods well, then you have some context for what's about to happen. But at the end of the day, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. And the examples that they they touch on in this introduction are all around this idea of increasing the level of, of abstraction in our code. And there's this one bit that says, design is thus about picking the right abstractions. Mm-hmm. And it comes down to this this principle, which... It sounds so simple, but yet it's so complex because you have to say, well, how do I know when it's the right time to abstract something? And and how, how do I know what price I'm willing to pay when I'm willing to sacrifice simplicity for something that's going to be more maintainable? Yes. And when do I know it, right? Is it something that I see after the abstraction is over and I've, you know, I'm licking my wounds and, and things are starting to hurt or can I predict it a little bit sooner? And that's why when it goes back to that whole, how do we make these decisions? I'm really excited to understand the process for being able to evaluate these things before they become too expensive. Yeah, there's a bit where where Sandy and Katrina say, if you choose well, your code will be expressive, understandable and flexible and everyone will love both it and you. <laughs> and I read that and I was like, I want that. I want that. <laughs> Exactly. And then they say, if you get it wrong, then you're going to have convoluted, confusing and costly code and your programming peers will hate you. And I was like, oh, ouch, oh no. (laughs) 
Yes. And also talks about the tendency for us to to over-anticipate abstractions. And it's really interesting because it talks about how we don't want to reach for abstractions. Instead, we want to resist them until we absolutely need them. And that to me, and, and I, I think I've started to come to that conclusion, especially after speaking with Sandy and Katrina and hearing their talks. And, and that's kind of the, the big takeaway that I feel that I've gotten. But seeing that just printed and just seeing that said so explicitly, it was, was very helpful because I think that as I consider what it means to be a senior developer and what it means to be an expert in coding, I think of, oh, someone who could just figure out what abstractions are necessary and pull them out and put them in the right places. And it was just, it was interesting to say, no, 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 don't try to find them. Don't seek the abstractions, but push against them until you absolutely need them. That's just a very different way of thinking about things. And I've been trying to be more mindful as I code in like not in, in stopping myself from looking for abstractions because just finding them makes me feel very smart and very clever. And that's not necessarily going to lead to the best code. It's interesting you say that. I found that because I've done, you know, a lot of reading, reading Puda, reading Confident Ruby, working with people who are much more experienced than I am, I'm often exposed to these abstractions, these patterns, these code smells. And I know that ultimately, when you're a great programmer, you know about finding these abstractions. And there's almost this impatience sometimes to be like, is now a good time to use this yeah, thing? Exactly. Is now a good time to use this thing? And, it's, it, and it's, it's like, it's not about that. It's about, over time, learning to get a sense, a feel, a gut, an instinct mm-hmm. for when it is the right time. And that, that comes through experience and this is why I'm excited for this book and its practical exercises because I you know you I read a lot of books and blog posts and unless you put this stuff into practice it's really hard to spot when it is that right time yes yeah I agree and so as we move into 1.1 simplifying code we talk about how when we code there's usually two often contradictory goals which is that You want it to be concrete enough that you understand things and you know what's going on, but you also want it to be abstract enough that it's flexible and that you're able to change things. And Sandy and Katrina describe it as being a continuum from most concrete to most abstract on the other end and how a lot of this book is going to be figuring out how to make the decision so that we can reach that sweet spot that represents the perfect compromise between between something that is easy to understand but also something that is very flexible. Yes. And so we're about to move into the next section where we're presented with four different solutions to the 99 bottles of beer problem. And they're going to explore those in a lot of detail. And so now is is the time that we have to go away and do this 30 minute. <laughs> this is where we run away. <laughs> exactly. We run away and don't come back. No, we go away. We do the 30 minute coding exercise. And so that will put us in the right like mindset for looking at these solutions and also see how we find it. And I think it's going to be interesting to, to do it now and then see where we're at when we get to the end of the book or halfway through the book. So I'm looking forward to giving that a go. 
Definitely. Which means that this is the right time for you to get this book if you haven't gotten it already and do this 30-minute exercise. And next week, when we meet again, we'll be able to talk about our solutions. And I'm very interested, Nadia, to kind of see the way that I wrote it and the way that you wrote it and just to compare that. And maybe we'll actually post our code on the website. That might be good. Ooh. Yeah, you can see the, the terrible coding that we write. Uh, and then we can dive right into 1.1.1 and see how Sandy and Katrina do it. Sounds great. So we are on to our new book and we just started diving in and we're super, super excited to go on this adventure with you. So we want to know, what did you make of the opening sections? And after you've done the 30-minute coding exercises, only after, we would love for you to record your 30-second thoughts or email us at hello at rubybookclub.com and tell us how you found it. And you might hear yourself on the show. Don't forget to tweet us at rubybookclub and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. Cheerio. And I hope everyone's already stopped listening because they're rushing off to do their 30-minute coding exercise. (laughs) Yes, that's definitely what's happening.